Hello listeners, this is Nina, just popping in ahead of the episode this week to give you a content note. Our chapter book, Dactyl Hill Squad, by Daniel Jose Alder, is set in 1863 New York, from the perspective of a group of black and brown children. As you'd expect from that setting, the book and our conversation deal with anti-black racism and violence and slavery. We also touch on guns and the Civil War. If you're not up for that today, no problem at all. Skip ahead to about 27 minutes to hear us talk about Goldilocks and the Three Dinosaurs by Mo Willems. Hello and welcome to Even the Trunchful, our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults. She's Nina. They're Matt. And we think that children's books are for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchful. They're all mistakes, children. Glad I never was one. From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode we'll be reviewing one picture book and one chapter book. We're starting off with the books we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch. You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod. This week we're reading about dinosaurs. <laughs> Our picture book is Goldilocks and the Three Dinosaurs by Mo Willems, a twisted fairy tale. But first, our chapter book is The Wonderful Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older. So, Nina, do you want to tell us what Dactyl Hill Squad is all about? Dactyl Hill Squad by Daniel Jose Older is the story of Magdalise Broca in 1863 New York, living in the Coloured Orphan Asylum. Um, it's ostensibly a historical book, but also this is a version of history where dinosaurs are alive and well. It's got dinosaurs in it. Essentially domesticated animals. <laughs> like They pull their carts and they ride into war, much as you might use horses. And it really works. Like Yeah. It- because when you when you sort of suggested this one and like the cover of the book is very sort of like it's like it's middle grade read big sort of bold cartoony kind of jump out at your kind of pictures. I don't know. I think I kind of prejudged it thinking it might mm. be a bit sort of like not not really my thing. I thought it might just be a bit get the kids, especially the lads into reading by like having just constant action. Um, and it sort of is that, but it's done really well. Like, yeah. it's a proper fast-paced action book. It is, yeah, but, yeah. But, yeah, it's got dinosaurs in it. And I was like, how does this work? And it absolutely works. Yeah, he's worked like... them in really well. <laughs> um, yeah, Civil War plus dinosaurs, just deal with it, yeah. <laughs> and I think the dinosaurs really help um, with, you know, bringing in a fantasy element and a silly element, like... There are loads of dinosaur poo jokes in this book. You know, it is a recurring yeah, that gag is a strong that dinosaurs poo on everything. Um, yeah. And it, I think it helps with the heavier elements of the story because it is a really heavy story. It's a story of black children in Civil War era New York and it covers some very dark things, being scared of being captured and sold to the South as slaves. And being scared that um, so Magdalise's brother has gone off to the front, he's joined the army and he's fighting the Civil War, you know, being scared for him. There are a lot of really dark elements. And I think that 
the dinosaurs really help lighten it up a bit. It's kind of like a way of working in that historical material without ramming it down your throat, I guess. Yeah, so I think it um, wears its research really lightly, which is hard to do. It, it, it is a, it is a action-y, dinosaur-packed, gun-packed, fighty book, which probably would draw in your reluctant reader. You know, it does do that really well. It's not too much, ah, look around at Civil War-era New York. Mm. But then, if you do care about that stuff, he's put together this brilliant sort of glossary at the end of historical facts. I think because the danger with blending fantasy with historical is that you might confuse someone. I don't think you do. I mean, it's quite easy to pick out the dinosaurs from the rest, but like... If you were in any doubt, mm, mm. you can look up any element of the story. Like, for example, the Coloured Orphan Asylum was a real place. The draft riots yeah. were a real thing. And there's sort of like... He's worked in a few characters, hasn't he? Like Frederick Douglass, who's like a sort yeah. of really key civil rights figure, yeah. is just mentioned as like one of the people in the mm. background at the bar who's like involved in all of these sort of like relief efforts and sort of rescuing these orphans yeah. and so because i read that and that was the first name that i'd recognized as a historical name yeah no it's really it's it's good the way he does it so where are we nina where where are we at the beginning of the book so the kids in the asylum led by magdalise basically she's your main character but then she's got friends are off in a dino driven cart to see a Shakespeare play at a black-owned theatre. Magdalise, she gets the first inkling that she might be able to talk to dinosaurs because she's going to be late um, and she thinks in her mind, wait! And the dinosaur pulling the cart stops and waits for her. And so she's like, did that dinosaur just... Wait for me. All right. And then, and we'll pick up on this later. She finds out she really can mentally communicate with the dinosaurs, which other people can't do. Mm. So, yeah, they're going to the theatre. Um, the play's really fun. And then they work out that the theatre is on fire and they need to evacuate. So the play stops, everyone gets out. The firefighters arrive with brachiosaurs and the kids and a couple of actors from the troupe commandeer a brachiosaur, basically, with the help of Magdalise's dino-whispering power to take them away from the scene of arson. So it, it's the New York draft riots. It's white people, pro-slavery elements in New York, setting fire to black institutions as a protest against having to go to war um so they set fire to the theater and they have also set fire to the orphanage so they come back to the orphanage luckily all the kids got out alive and the kids as many as they can manage all escape off they all get taken off don't they to dactyl hill and they end up in a sort of underground club the bochinche so they get to the bochinche and they've got Mm. a little gang then don't they squad um and start um join like a resistance movement essentially don't they and start uh 
going and spying and yeah. chimney sweeping around New York and Brooklyn, flying around on uh, pterodactyls. Which isn't that great? Like, what a good um, idea. Because it's true that in the 1800s, a common job for children was sweeping chimneys. But, like, wouldn't it be better if you could start at the top? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Daniel Jose Older's got just these pterodactyls basically roosting on on roofs like crows they're just around they're almost like vermin and you can just jump on their backs and ride them and so that's what the kids do i wanted to talk about guns in this story actually because um i think probably received wisdom about guns in um kids books is guns are bad and generally i agree guns are bad Mm. but also in the history of black people and other people of colour's resistance to racist oppression in the United States especially, guns have played a really important part. Um, Mm. In the Black Panther movement, for example, they were armed to defend the people that, you know, from the police. They they went around with guns. Um, And the only reason there are any gun control laws in America, basically, is because white America didn't like black men carrying guns. Um, right, right. It's a really interesting. interesting part of history. Um, yeah. And so guns in this are used by both sides and there's something that Magdalise and her friends need to learn to use. And I think mm. it dealt with like that really well in that Magdalise really struggles she doesn't like guns. She doesn't like the idea of hurting or killing someone. But also in some situations, you know, when you are a little black girl in New York in 1863, you might have to kill or be killed or kill or be captured and sent away into slavery. And I I think that he struck a really nice balance with that in that, like, it's not easy for her but also it's necessary. Like, it doesn't make it like, oh, she was just suddenly this gun-toting superhero, bang, bang, bang. But also, he doesn't come down on the side of, like, never use a gun. Um, Which I think is interesting, especially in kids' fiction. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting balance because he, like, the guns are not swerved from at all. Like, right from the beginning when they're, you know in the draft riots and everything's on fire and it's um Cymbeline who's such a great character yeah. who's so they've been at the Zanzibar which is this all black theater which was based on a real theater wasn't it yeah, I'll try yeah, to remember the name now it's in his it's in his notes Hewlett's African Grove theater um and you've got these two actors there Halsey Crunk and Cymbeline Crunk brother and sister aren't they and, but yeah, Cymbeline is like this shotgun toting yeah. sort of badass straight away. Yeah. But like right from the beginning, like I think it's really noticeable the guns are described in quite detail, like mm. the make of the gun and how they're loaded, like the precise mechanics of it. It isn't just like, yeah, guns, pew, pew, pew. No, not it's at all. It's sort of yeah. like this is a tool that we're going to, be using and we're going to describe it well and also at this point in history they're very clunky and difficult to use yeah yeah definitely and a lot of them are quite new like it's you know Mm. there's that sense like sense of um you've almost got a little bit of military history in there in terms of 
the guns that are the brand new model that some people have and then some that are a bit clunkier and older, yeah. like he's talking about the difference between flintlocks and caplocks and all of that, but doesn't feel like glorifying. It's just like, right, we're going to talk about these, so we're going to talk about them properly. Yeah. And then, yeah, as you say, right from the beginning, because increasingly as the book moves on, it really deals pretty head on with essentially PTSD, right? Yeah. Um, and like the effect of using a gun and the idea of killing and what it means to yeah. kill, even yeah. when you need to. But as you say, like right from the beginning, in the first gunfight they have, I think there's a bit where Magdalise loads up and it's this long, painful process. And like points the gun at someone and like closes her eyes and shoots and then it opens yeah. and she's missed. And it builds in because it's not straight away like what a terrible thing to do. But it is like every shot that's fired and every shot that lands, it's written about with a view to like the consequences of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really well tackled. It's really yeah, well tackled. I think so too. Because the guns need to be there. They are such a part of the story. And it is such like a rip roaring action adventure. And yeah. it just wouldn't read properly if it was like I don't know, like a sort of Pokemon cop-out of, oh, and then he fainted. It's like, yeah. no, people are dying here. Yeah. We're at war. Yeah. But it's just handled so well. I think it's handled really well, yeah. All the characters are a lot of fun. They're really well painted. Yeah, yeah I want to talk about Two-Step, actually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so Two-Step <laughs> two... is the closest thing. Well, Two-Step named because he two-steps everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's like... You know, fancy feet. He likes yeah. climbing stuff. <laughs> he likes doing little dances. And also, he's fat. So I've been trying to put together a fat episode for us. And it is so mm. hard to find neutral or positive representations of fat characters in children's literature. Still mm. now. Mm. I've read Daniel Jose Alder's other um, adult fantasy books as well. And he does this in those as well. Where just like someone is just fat, yeah. and it's mentioned several times that he's fat, but also that, that he's not shown as lazy or greedy or unathletic mm, mm. or anything else. Yeah, actually, he is quite athletic. Um, <laughs> he never stops moving. Yeah, <laughs> no, he never stops moving. He's like wiggly, yeah. and he's just like a really good friend to Magdalene. So at the beginning, she's like, "I don't have any friends in this orphanage now that my brother's gone." But that's not quite mm. true, is it? Like, she ends up with a proper little squad and two steps really important. Yeah, yeah, and I just wanted to talk about him, about, like, the sort of, like, easy fat rep in him. They they picked it up in the illustrations. Yes, yeah. he's fat yeah. and has a nice big puffy afro. In terms of characters as well, for me, I think, like, I almost feel quite bad saying this because I, I guess it reflects my reading patterns as well, but it was refreshing and interesting for me, like, reading a story where all of the key protagonists weren't white. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, when they're in the Pachincha and the planning stuff and you've got yeah. all of the, like, the elders. Mm. And I know you were mentioning the other day about that idea of kind of, like, uh, black rule models and the, yeah. the young lads. Yeah, sort of. it was so lovely, this little, like, just this little tiny line. So Magdalise and the other kids from the orphanage arrived at the Buchinche and they're around all these black elders and the black boys who've had no black men to look up to up until now because they've been raised by these white women suddenly start adopting the posture and the mannerisms yeah. of the older black men 
And it's so lovely, just like they've, they've got someone to model themselves on now. You know, they've yeah. got an image of themselves in the future that like, you're little black boys now, but you're going to be black men. And this is what black men can look like and act like. It's the humour with which that's noticed as well. Like Magdalene yeah, clocks she thinks, it and oh. she's like, oh, bless him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah they it's start really swaggering lovely. and stuff. Like, it's, it's really lovely. Um, but it was like, yeah, kind of, because I guess the only white characters really are the, the main villain um, and the sort of side characters in the, you know, the women who own the... Yeah, the orphanage. The orphanage. What yeah. like one or two of which come back and sort of mm. you know play a part. Yeah, but they're but not very it, important. It, no, and they and they're supportive, and it yeah. yeah, it it did just feel like a real kind of a reversal of what I'm used to, which was mm. yeah, it was great. It was really interesting. Um, Magda Magdalise has a thing about you know even even her other friends in the asylum who pronounce the name right don't yeah. really pronounce it yeah. right like her brother does magdalise like a song stupid sort of english-speaking people as yeah. like magdalise or mags that's not right or margaret which is what the sort of well-meaning i think you call them well-meaning white women who run the orphanage I think yeah. varying degrees of well-meaning i think it's a very very well-painted trope of that sort of like snooty like you picture them with sort of those kind of transatlantic mm, yeah posh voices, oh that is who know? they are i think um, they're like well-to-do women who've got time yeah, to do charity yeah, yeah. work which is what they consider this to be and yeah insists on calling magdalise yeah. margaret rochford we haven't talked at all about Riker. yeah so he's a historical club. character yeah, he's this really surprised me reading the notes at the end, like this yeah. guy actually existed. And, like, and he was a bad person. <laughs> so this is like the antagonist to the Pachinche lot, in it? The Vigilance Committee, which again yeah. was real. Yeah. Um, that kind of try to prevent the actions of essentially covert underground illegally operating slave traders in New York and the mm. northern states. But yeah, so Riker is... This sort of this figure of authority who has all this power to do this bad reminds stuff. Reminds me a bit children. like the demon headmaster. He's yeah. just this sort of like he like encapsulates that whole kind of like brick wall, like institutional, seemingly like impossible to overcome malice. Mm. Yeah, he's like the seat of all that power. Yeah, um, and he wants to capture black people in New York. And sell them to the South into slavery. That's his thing. And he particularly yeah. focuses on black children. And yeah. so what he wants to do, once he's burned down the orphanage, is he's like, well, these children have nowhere to go. Give them to me. They're property of the state, yeah. They they default yeah. to being property of the state, which is him. Yeah, yeah. Which then, yeah. Well, this is what I think, like, this being a historical novel does so well, is it doesn't gloss over the racism in the north because often mm-hmm. the you know the narrative about the civil war is south bad north good mm-hmm. you know and of course it wasn't but that is the way it's taught to children and children of the age to read this book are getting this whitewashed version of history and i think it's mm-hmm. really good showing that like even in the supposedly free north there was oppression mm-hmm. and there were definitely people who wanted black people to be enslaved 
and yeah. things were still very bad and still had to be fought from within that you know that black people were not saved by benevolent white northerners that black no. people saved themselves and he writes the fury and the frustration of that so well yeah yeah I think there's a bit in particular towards the end where it's like maybe something that Riker says and there's just this passage about Magdalene sort of like seeing and feeling like the weight and impossibility of this injustice and just wanting to scream and that kind of like seeing the whole picture of it and it's not just like oh this annoying white woman who keeps calling us the wrong name yeah or it's not like oh like people going off to war and like don't know where my family is and all of these people that are awful but then it's like widening out into this like the system is so big and so rigged against her you know at so many institutional levels that like he's not just this random awful white guy he is a judge he has the Mm. power to do awful things and he's kind of he's allowed right Mm. Mm. well he because he is the law but he i mean he sees them as cattle doesn't he yeah yeah. sees them as property. Um, yeah, it's so offensive. Yeah. And he doesn't shy away from that. I think that's the, you mm. know... No, there's very little softening it for a white audience either. That's, yes, no, That that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It's not written to make white people comfortable. I think it's written largely for kids of colour who are still experiencing institutional racism now. It felt very present to me that it was an author of colour. Mm-hmm. Of course it is, and that's that's why it was noticeable for me, I guess, and uncomfortable yeah. for me, because it's like, you're used to reading things where, like, of course, you're the good guy and the people yeah. representing, representing you are the good guys, and nope, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. not at all true, and we're not going to pretend at all that, yeah. There's yeah. no kind of like, oh, well, we're all human in the end. As no, as like, no, no this, this, this is really wrong. Yeah. And I think the fact that he managed that in a book that I would not hesitate to put in the hands of any nine-year-old is such no, an yeah, achievement. No, yeah, it's great. Because it's, it's just an action story. Except, of course, it's not. Oh, he writes with such warmth. It's yeah. such a, it's just a warm book. Just mm. kind of takes you by the hand. And it doesn't need to be that warm either. Like, I think it could just be a straightforward action-adventure book, and that would be mm. fine. But it's mm. also got this real emotional depth to it. Yeah. Like, when when the orphans get their paperwork and they find out where they came from, that is such a heart-wrenching moment. There are some really emotionally hard points, and, like, as you were saying, soft points. Like, it's really sweet how the squad comes together. And how when Magdalise makes a decision at the end to like move on to somewhere else, they're like, of course we're coming with you. We're the squad. We go yeah. together. It's such a journey from the beginning where she's like, now my brother's not here. I have no friends. Well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? And that, that really kind of tugged at my heartstrings a lot because I guess the sort of theme of Magdalise's whole journey is that kind of fighting that need for isolation and that desire mm. for isolation yeah because you, you know right it's and it's not easy for her it's not a kind of like oh we're a squad now and it's sorted like you know she still wants to do things on her own and she still yeah. wants to like run away and like she's like i've got my mission that's just mine and only mm. i can do it and and she constantly having to be reminded by the others like we are together now like we you know we're stronger doing this together yeah she's a really interesting character Mm -hmm. um 
This is a very pro teamwork book. You know, there's a lot of scenes of them like working out how they're all going to do this together and working with everybody's skills. And the adults as well, that brilliant bit when they're making plans and like all the kids have like got their sort of spider diagrams all over the wall yeah. and the adults come in and they're like, they're like, they've got a really tight time limit to go and rescue people. Mm-hmm. And the adults are like, okay, we've got two hours. You've got one of them. We'll be back in an hour. You tell us your plans. And I was like, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That they're just like, right, the kids are on it. Cool. Show yeah. us what you got. Yeah. It's fantastic. They yeah. come back and they're like, right, this is a good plan. What we're going to do now is we're going to tear it to pieces, right? We're going to rip the life out of your plan. And this is because we like you and it's good. This is yeah. what we do to each other. This is the process. Yeah. Like it kind of felt like he was, t- for me, I read that bit and I was like, ah, you're talking about writing here Yeah, as well. this is a writer's room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's lovely. Like the care, because it is a child-led book, but the adults are so present mm. and so responsible. And just good teachers, like they make it understood why they should be answerable to. Yeah. Yeah, I just I thought I'd I'd love to grow up in the Pachinche, you know. Yeah, it's it's an image of community care, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, it would be better if these children were with their parents, but mm. they're from the orphanage and they're better off in the Pachinche with all of these cool adults around and role models than in the care of these charitable white women who are trying to mould them into a certain idea of what an American citizen should be like. Can we can we just spoil? I mean, we we have a trans character. Do you want to talk about Red? We have a trans character who doesn't appear for very long, but is that kind of because we've talked about Magdalise with her magic that's kind of bubbling away through quite a lot of it, and we talked about that fury at institutional injustice. Mm. Um, and Red is kind of like ties those two things together and is the sort of friend that or the the mentor that Magdalise needs to be yeah. like like yeah. own your thing that you're good at yes. this is an amazing thing you can do and then that power is like what gives us strength over the the darkness i guess and that's the one second half spoiler we're going to do yeah um, that's the only one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so who's it for? Eight, nine-year-olds. Eight, nine-year-old. I would say especially kids of colour. I think it's good for everyone. I think it's especially important for kids of colour to see themselves yeah. portrayed like this. Also important for white kids yeah. to read a bit yeah, outside yeah. of themselves. A really important, I think. Really important. I think as well in terms of gender, it's quite interesting because I think it's a really good book for little boys. But then also... Yes, I think so you know, too. ...has a really cool female protagonist. Um, so yeah. it's kind of, again, really nicely disruptive in that it's like, it's an action mm-hmm. book for, for little girls. As we've said, we have a trans yeah. character in there. So there's there's that representation. Um, yeah, any gender non-conforming child you want to put this in the hands of. Um, also, your little history buff. Yeah. Your little dino nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is all bases covered, like, but also, also adults, like... Yeah, I learned loads. I didn't know about this part of American history at all. 
It's so cool. For sure. Shall we move on to Goldilocks? Absolutely. This is Goldilocks carrying on the theme. It's a story that you know, but with dinosaurs in it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Mo Willems retelling of Goldilocks and the three bears. And we start in the house with a woman dinosaur and a man dinosaur and also a Norwegian dinosaur for no reason. Um, And they're laying (laughs) a trap. But this is never actually said in the narration. No, it's very deliberately not said. They made three bowls of chocolate pudding for for no reason. (laughs) They were all different temperatures. They definitely (laughs) didn't leave the door open and hide in the woods for any particular reason. They just happened to go out. (laughs) They were going someplace else for a for For a short while. (laughs) The Norwegian dinosaur said something that sounded like evil laughter, but probably just meant what a lovely day in Norwegian. (laughs) Yeah. They're hiding out in the trees, except of course they're not. And a little, <laughs> I think described as a poorly supervised young girl <laughs> comes walking along. Something that might sound like, gotcha, here one comes now. But it was probably just the wind whistling through the trees. And then another loud noise, which sounded like, not yet, the trap is not yet sprung. But could probably just have been yeah. a rock falling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's this really yeah. good interplay between like, the story as it is written and what you see in the pictures and what is Mm. um, suggested. And I think that works really well in a picture book. It's so funny for the kids. Like when they can tell that like the story you're being told isn't the real story, you know, they get to feel smart and ahead of the grown up who's reading them the story. Yeah. You're like, oh, the grown up's saying one thing, but I know another thing. It's such adult humour as well. Like, I don't think I've ever come yeah. across a kid's book that in this way embraces, like, snidey sarcasm. Yeah. It's like all that kind of thing that, like, traditionally you'd sort of, like, discourage kids from. Yeah. But it's just embraced and it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. Like, sarcasm yeah. is good. It's good for us. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly. It's so fun. Why is the di- the, the dinosaur Norwegian? We no explanation know. offered. It adds a certain something. We don't something. know. He's on, he's on an exchange trip. Um, yeah. <laughs> but again, it's just like, it's so whimsical. It's like so yeah. much of this book is like, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why has it got dinosaurs in it? Because why not? And sort of casually taking the mick out of the original story. Yes, like, yeah. You've got um, the pudding, and they make this pudding, and it's like they just inexplicably made some pudding that was different temperatures. Yeah. And then when uh, Goldilocks is eating a pudding, she's a bit tired, she's looking for somewhere to sit down. And so then Goldilocks goes for a little lie down <laughs> with her tummy full of chocolate, and then it dawns on her, oh, this isn't a bear's house. This is a dinosaur's house. Because if it was a bear's house, that would be fine. <laughs> not a problem it's it's so absurd she's used to bears yeah because she's goldilocks isn't she which leads us on to the moral of the story goldilocks runs out dinosaur is very disappointed and on the very last page it says the moral 
if you ever find yourself in the wrong story, leave. <laughs> and the moral for dinosaurs, lock the back door. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where Goldilocks has escaped from. It's yeah. so stupid. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's making fun of its own form. And in a way that will make the child feel clever, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's really well written for that, for sure. I guess the moral of the original story, right, is like little kids shouldn't be wandering off on their own. You'll get into bother. Yeah. And it's taken the mick at like, it's like, um, here was a little girl who had never been taught not to wander into enormous strange yeah. houses. <laughs> so she came across an enormous strange house and wandered straight into it. Yeah. <laughs> And it makes the point several times that, like, Goldilocks doesn't think before she acts. When she clocks that it's the dinosaur's house, she's like, uh, Goldilocks stopped and thought for a second, which was far longer than <laughs> than Goldilocks was used to stopping and thinking for. Yeah. <laughs> a second. What is it? Papa Dinosaur shouts through the window like, oh, she's so delicious and ready to eat. And it's like... Yeah. Even someone as stupid, <laughs> inattentive as Goldilocks couldn't not hear that. <laughs> There's a lovely thing in that, that like Goldilocks is really stupid. And we all yeah. know like from the original book that the joke of the whole thing, right, is that like, I don't know about you. I don't even feel particularly sorry for Goldilocks, even in the versions of the story. No. Where she gets eaten by the bears. because I'm like, you're just that's so stupid. Yeah. But in this one, Papa Dinosaur is even more stupid. Yeah. Like he just can't, he can't shut up. Like it, it like reading it feels like someone who's really enjoying entertaining kids. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can feel like, that love a real of children. In it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can absolutely picture yourself reading it to a little one, can't you? And it being so yeah. funny. Like, imagine like taking your time over turning the page and like drawing yeah. it out. What age of kid is this for? Oh, it's little ones, innit? I'd say kind of like start Four, five. probably starting yeah probably starting from about three yeah up to about five or six i reckon yeah yeah kids who already know the story of goldilocks and the three bears importantly and who will get the joke this is not an educational book it's stupid and it should remain <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> this is a good this is a good counterpoint to dactyl hill squad you will not learn anything <laughs> No, no, no. Although the moral, the moral of if you find yourself in the wrong story, leave, I think is it's pretty beautiful good. and like yeah. really kind of like as a philosophical statement, that's kind of great, but yeah. such a ridiculous way of coming round to it. Take your time uh. over it. Enjoy the punchline. Do not try to yeah. extract too much from it. So that was episode 11 of Even the Trunchbull. Thanks for listening. Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid. Or love now as a kid. Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod. Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers. And remember, kids' books can be for everyone because we've all been kids. Even, Even the, the Trunchbull. trunchbull.